0: The following sermon is by Stephen Tillis, pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. Please visit us at 2100 Noble Road in Raleigh or on the web at ebcralaleigh.com. And now, here's Pastor Steve. Okay, church, let's take our Bibles this morning and turn to the second book of the Bible, the book of Exodus, chapter number 20. We'll continue along our series here on some uh, questions that we asked. And last week was an overview of the Ten Commandments. It says, what is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? And uh, this week we'll do Commandment 1, 2, and 3. But uh, let me just review with you. And uh, those of you that were with us uh, last Sunday, see if you can uh, remember this with us. All right. So what is the law of God contained in the Ten Commandments? Remember we said, that there is one God, right? Number one, first commandment, that there is one God, and then put two fingers up like this, right? That we are to make no idols, no idols. Commandment number two, so have that idol bow down. Then commandment number three, that we don't take the name of the Lord in vain or we don't misuse the name of the Lord. You remember commandment number four? Commandment number four, we said... What we say? Remember the Sabbath, to keep it holy, right? And then we said commandment number five is that we're going to honor our father and mother, so everybody salute, right? Mom and dad like that. And then number six is that you're not to commit murder, so shoot all these people. Don't shoot anybody, all right? Look there, right? All right? Don't, don't commit murder. Commandment number seven we said is don't commit adultery, and in a good marriage there are only two. Husband and wife, not five. Remember that? Not five in your marriage. Then you remember commandment number 8? What was commandment number 8? Somebody yell it out for me. Don't steal, because in some countries they cut your thumbs off when you steal. Commandment number 9, 5 in the air, 4 on the Bible, right? Like you're going to swear in the court of law that you're going to tell the truth. You're not going to lie. And anybody remember commandment number 10? What is that? That's right, don't be covetous, don't, don't grab after what everybody else has, alright? So today we're simply going to walk through commandments 1, 2, and 3. The question in the catechism is, what is the law of God contained in the first three commandments so that we are, have no other gods before Him, that we're not to make any idol, a graven image, and that we are not to take the name of the Lord in vain, or we're not to misuse the Lord's name. Now, I have a friend of mine who is pastoring not too, too far from here, and he is in a sermon series on the Ten Commandments, and he is preaching an entire sermon on each of the Ten Commandments. And today, I only have three hours to get across to you Commandment 1, 2, and 3. He said, wow, I saw a quenching of the Spirit just happen, all right? I know what you're thinking three hours from now you'll be the only one in here talking to yourself all right so we'll just try today to hit the surface of these commandments but what i'd like for you and those of you that are following along in the book or on the app uh the new city catechism you say they had uh, deuteronomy chapter number six they had a different section uh or deuteronomy 13 for um, the commandments for today what i decided to do is just go ahead and root us for the next several weeks back in the book of exodus chapter number 20, because verse 3 through verse number 7 is actually a, a little bit more difficult of a text, and I want you to follow along. I want you to be able to have a handle on this today. So uh, the first three commandments, uh, chapter 20 of Exodus, verse 3 through verse number 7. You read along silently, and then your Bible as I read out loud for us. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol or you might say a graven image or an idol, right? Or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. You shall not worship them or serve them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing loving kindness to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name in vain. Those of you that are keeping notes, you'll find that commandment number one as we broken them up will be in verse number uh, three. So that we're to have no other gods before him. Commandment number two, not to make any idols is verse number four down through verse number six. And then commandment number three, not to misuse the name of the Lord or not to take the name of the Lord in vain. That would be in verse number seven. So simply, just in a few minutes, let's walk our way down through these first three commandments. You might have learned the Ten Commandments as a child. You may even have a better way of remembering them. And surely these will be on your heart and in your life for many of those who have grown up in church. But let's see if we can drill down just a little bit Uh, on these three commandments and see what the Lord would show us today. So, first of all, look at commandment number 1 from verse number 3. He says, You shall have no other God's before me. First of all, notice in verse number three that he begins here with the singular of the you. This is not a you plural as if he is speaking to all of the nation of Israel, although he is. And it is not just that he is speaking to Emmanuel Baptist Church or the church around the world, although he is, he is actually drilling down on your life. And if you came here today and you say, wow, I didn't know I was going to be put under that pressure. I'm sorry to tell you, but the commandments of God begin in your lap. God says to you, you are responsible. This commandment, nobody in here today is exempt from this commandment. You don't get a slide. You don't get to put it off. This isn't for somebody else or another church or another people. This isn't for a religious person. This is for you. You shall have no other God's Before me, notice that he says there, you shall have no other gods. that is that God does not share His glory with anyone or anything ever in all of the existence of time or eternity to come. God does not share His glory. Now, you know, that's kind of opposite of the way that we think when we teach children from a young age. What do we teach boys and girls? You're to share. You're to share. Share your toys. Share this. Share that. And you can hear mom and dad swatting and yelling in the back seat. Give that toy to him. Share a little bit with him. You've all been there. And so we want to be the kind of people that foster in our life, both with children and with adults, that we share. But can I say something to you? Some things we don't want to share. Amen? You don't want to share a toothbrush. If you share a toothbrush, please don't tell me afterward. All right? You don't want to share. Nobody shares one of those individual Snicker bites, right? You ever taken a little bite? Hey, listen. I was at. We were at a white elephant Christmas party at the Pritchards' house one year, and I thought that we had the best prank gift that there was. But uh, uh, Jason and Beth handed us a box of uh, uh, Valentine Day chocolates. But when you opened up the box, they had taken a bite out of each one of them. (laughs) To the glory of God, I want you to understand some things don't need to be shared. Amen? And let me bring this into a more serious... I don't know if I'm going to get you now, but you're going to be thinking about that all all service law. A half-eaten box of Valentine's Day chocolates. Can I tell you something? Maybe I should make it a little bit more serious and say this. Wouldn't you say that within the bonds of marriage... Nobody wants to share. And in fact, if you saw your spouse in the arms of another, if you weren't jealous and upset and brokenhearted, wouldn't you say that there would be something already wrong with the relationship? See, some things weren't meant to be shared. And God does not share His glory. So look at the rest of the verse. He says to them, He says, Now look, you, you shall have no other gods before Me. Notice the word gods here in the passage. In your English Bible, is a small g. And he says, now listen, if there are no other gods, and the Bible is clear to say that there is only one true and living God, and that is the God of the Bible, the God of Scripture. If you ever hear people say out in the world that there's many roads to heaven, and there's many gods, and many religions, and many ways, I'm here to tell you that at least from the perspective of the Bible and Christianity, don't let anybody ever, ever, ever confuse you. Christianity is, by nature, an experience. Exclusive religion. Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life and no one gets to the Father but my me. So it's not like you have your God and I have my God and they have their God. Well, the Bible says none of those other things are God. If that's true, then why, why would He say this? Have no other gods before me. It's almost as if God is making a recognition here of these other gods. And I would say this, because God understands that all of these lesser gods, all of these things that we make gods in our life, they do hold some sort of supernatural power over our life. We give ourselves away to things that are not God. And the longer and the harder that you give yourself away to it, the more you become enslaved to it. Commandment number one, no other gods, you, and it's hard when you preach, right? And the pastor told me years ago, he said, listen, every time you point with one finger out here, don't ever forget that there's three pointing back at you, right? So I say this as a family. I say this with us together. This is not me speaking at you. This is me speaking to you and with you. And I want you to understand that we are to have no other god before him in our life. And if you have something today that you're so passionate about, that you love, that you trust, that you treasure, that you cherish more than you do the God of heaven and his son the Lord Jesus Christ, it is a god and you must get that out of your life. You are to have no other gods before him. Look back down at the verse again. Let me let me show you something. He says here, you shall make or he says uh, you shall have no other gods Before me. Do you see that in your text where it says before me? So the phrase here is literally, if you were to translate this, it means before my face. Before my face. It's not some sort of time or or, or a, a a ranking system as if God is saying, you're not supposed to have any other gods before me. So, so I'm going to be the first God, but you can have a second or a third or a fourth God. That's not what the text is saying at all. It is not ranking God among other lesser gods. It is saying this, you're not to have any other God before my face in two ways. One is in the presence of Him and two is that there is this thing in which there is, you're shoving it in God's face. That's what it means. In order, when we have other gods in our life, when we worship and love and appreciate anything other than the God of heaven, we are pushing it in His nostrils and in His face. It is as if you are shaking your fist at God. And I say on the authority of the Scripture, you should know today, that if you do not bow your heart and repent of your sin and turn to Jesus and make the God of, the he- of heaven through the Lord Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, the one true passionate King of your life, then you will suffer at the hands of a wrathful mighty God who will justly judge you. Why? Because you took some other lesser God and you put it in His face, And you said, I know that you created the world. I know that you're merciful. I know that you're kind. I know that you loved everybody in the world so much that you took your son and allowed him to die a crucified death and be raised again. I know that you've been merciful and patient and kind. And yet, I don't want to serve you. I don't want to bow before you. I don't want you to be the king of my life. I want this. And if you die in that kind of con, uh, condition, you'll have to suffer the consequences for putting something else in the place of the God of the Bible. Let me give you two tests today before we move to the next, uh, the next uh, command here. It says, Steve, how do I know I, I, you're to have no other gods before me? How do I? What's a test to see if I have any other gods? Because I know some of my good believing um, friends in here that have been members for this church for a long time. You're, you're, you're sitting there in your mind. That's right, preacher. You know the rest of these people need this. But I've been here a long time, and I'm pretty good. I'm set. I don't have any other gods before Him at all. So let me give you two two tests to understand uh, whether you have another god in your life or not. All right? It is the love test and the trust test. Uh, One of our early church fathers, Origen, said this. He said that the one in which you put the most honor and the most love, that is the one who is your god. So let me begin with a love test and say this. In your life, who is or what is the most loved and cherished person or item in your life? And if the humble response of your heart and my heart is not, yes, I fail, yes, I come short, but the best I know how every day of my life, I want to love God. I want to cherish Him. I want to follow Him. I want to live for Him. I want the God of the Bible to be in my soul. I want Him to permeate everything that I do. He comes before my father. He comes before my mother. He comes before my spouse. He comes before my children. He comes before my friendships and my relationships. He comes before my job. He comes before my money. He comes before my activities. He has rule over everything in my life life and I love Him for it. It's not that I've white-knuckled and gritted teeth, and yes, you're in charge because you have to be, but I wish I was in charge. But if your heart isn't, Lord, I love you with every fiber of my being, then you have another God. And the, uh, somebody said one time, preacher, you stop preaching and start meddling, so let me meddle just a little bit. If you have a relationship in your life, even though it may be good and wonderful and bright and helpful for you, if the majority of your love and attention go to that relationship other than God or in spite of God or taking away from God, then that has become a God in your life and you must repent and lay it down. Let me uh, give you another test. So we spoke about origin and early church father. Here's one from the Reformation. Martin Luther from the Reformation. He said this, he said, "...that which we give the most of our confidence and trust to, that is thy God." Right? Old English words there, right? That is thy God. Whoever you trust, whoever you bank on, wherever your confidence is, if it's something other than the God of the Bible, then that has become a God for you. So it's not just that the one that you love and cherish and adore, but it's the one that you're banking on and counting on and putting your confidence in. And can I say to all of us in here, does that not punch all of us a little bit in the nose and cause a little tears through our face and say, hey listen, is my job... Am I trusting more in my job than I am in God? Am I trusting more in what I have in the bank or am I trusting in God? Am I trusting in my abilities and my skill set and my wisdom and my smarts? Am I trusting in what I can do or am I trusting in the God of the Bible? How do I know if I have another God? What are you trusting in? Where's your hope today? Where's your hope? Where's your confidence? Is it in a person? Is it in monetary value? Is it in a tradition? Is it in the security of the life you have built for yourself? Or is it in the God of heaven? See, so that commandment's a little bit more than we might give it credit for. You shall have no other God before me, in my presence, in my face. Hmm. I just was thinking about this. I'll move to the next one, but how is Jesus the fulfillment of that? John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That text is speaking about Jesus Christ. And it's best translated this way, when the beginning began, He was there. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It means that Christ stands face to face with the Father. He is God eternally. Do you have any other love in your life that surmounts or surpasses Jesus Christ? Do you trust in your life in anything other or more than Jesus Christ? If you do, you have another God before Him. And I want to encourage you today, it's as simple as recognizing that truth, kind of being struck in the heart by that, And when we pray in a little bit, we'll give a space for you to pray right where you are. Just saying, oh man. Well, I didn't even really think about that until this morning. But I do have some other gods. I have some things that take the place of God. I have some things that probably stand face to face with Him. And it's not Jesus. It's this love. It's this trust. It's this relationship. It's this valuable. I want to encourage you today as a friend. Put that down. Come to Jesus. Trust Him. And make Him the passionate Lord of your life. One last thing. I'll move to the second one. You shall have no other gods before me. You see, the, in, the indirect teaching of that, of that command is this. On the positive side, you are supposed to give everything that you have from head to toe, every fiber of your being, To love the God of heaven. You remember we talked about last week, Jesus said, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength. You see, if you love God, the God of the Bible, the God of heaven, if you love Him with everything that is inside of you, there's not much left for other gods, is there? So I want to encourage you today. In the knees of your heart, bow before him and say, "Lord, I want to love you more, I want to cherish you more, I want to trust you more, I want to follow you more. Would you do that today? No the gods, commandment number two, look at what it says. Let me teach through this a little bit all right uh, verse number uh, verse number four, You shall not make for yourself an idol that's that's the second commandment now. Uh, Let me finish the verse and I'll do this. So uh, you shall not make for yourself any idol or any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. So let me stop for a moment. Some people ask sometimes, Well, I don't get it. You're not supposed to have any other gods before me. Don't make an idol. Isn't that basically the same thing? And the answer to that is no, it's not the same thing. The first commandment is the the object of our worship. And it's saying you're not supposed to have any other gods before me. The second commandment is dealing with the manner of our worship. And so it is saying, look you don't worship God in a false way. So commandment number one don't have any false gods. Commandment number two, don't worship the true God in a false way. Do you see the difference between knows look back down at verse number uh, four it says you shall not make for yourself an idol that it, I, I do like the old english here that 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 graven image it is something that is made with hands and so it is something he's made with our hands or our minds or our desires or our lusts and so he says here listen you shall not make for yourself an idol and then he goes on Uh, let me give you a few things here. Commandment number two, he gives you a rule, then he gives you a reason, and then he gives you a warning. So so look at these verses with me. He says, first of all, what's the rule? Well, it's real simple. Don't make an idol. All right? And then he he goes on to explain that. He says, don't do that any likeness of what is in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the water under the earth. Now, you know what? Doesn't that pretty much cover everything? Are you all with me on that? If you can find something in between there, Don't make an idol out of that either. But the author here goes on to say, he says, look, don't make any graven image. Don't make an idol. Don't worship God in a false kind of way. And don't make an idol out of things that are in heaven, things that are on earth, or things that are under the earth or in the water therewith. Don't make an idol. That's a clear rule from God. Now, what's the reason behind the rule? Look at what it says in verse number five. You shall not worship them or serve them. Why? Why? For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Now just stop there for a minute. Now, you know, we have such a bad understanding of the word jealous. When, when we think of jealousy, we tend to think of something like uh, 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 similar on terms of envy. You know, envious frustration or anger about something that you do not own, but jealousy or godly jealousy is something that is right and true and good. And as I, I said a minute ago, if you saw your spouse or your loved one in the arms of another, there should be some sort of holy jealousy because that person is with you and you went into covenant relationship with you and you love them and you care for them and now they're in somebody else's arms. There ought to be a holy jealousy over that which belongs to us. And brothers and sisters, I want to say to you that if you didn't have a God who is jealous over you with His love, you wouldn't want that kind of God. If you served a God that could care less that you served every other God in the world, what kind of God would that be? No. No. Why does God say, Don't make any idol? Don't represent my love. Don't come to me with something that's made out of hands when I am the God of heaven? He says that because He's jealous over us with His love. It is for the honor of God's love that He shows His jealousy over His people. Now, look at the rest of these verses. Let's see if we can dig in and explain a little bit of this. I'm a jealous God. And look what He says. I visit visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. So we have a rule don't make any idols. We have a reason. Why? Because I'm jealous over you. You're my people. I love you. I care for you. I'm in covenant relationship for you. I sent my son to die for you. You belong to me. What's the warning? I visit the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation. Now, I'll stay with me just for a couple minutes. You can study that five ways from Sunday. And there are tons of scholars that will work through that for you. And there are tons of people that are scared of that. And they feel like somehow God is unjust to visit the iniquity on future generations. Are you saying God judges our our children for, for, for my sins? No, the book of Ezekiel makes it clear that every human being stands under the judgment of God for their own sin. Yet, what this text is teaching is for fathers and mothers and grandparents and spiritual leaders alike, for every person in this room, if you make an idol in your own life, if you serve God your own way and do your own thing and you don't do it the biblical way, what you do is create an atmosphere that the youth and the children of our church and the future generations, they grow up seeing what you do and they will mimic that. And if you don't worship and serve the God of the Bible in a biblical way, how can you possibly expect your children to do? When you don't worship God rightly and when you don't worship God biblically and when you don't put Him first in his, your, your life, what you are doing is preparing and setting your children and grandchildren up for failure. Yes, that is right. You see, this Jewish community and this church are in covenant relationship with God and He deals not only with the individual but with the family. And insofar as you do not worship God and obey Him properly, you create a context and a culture where your children will suffer. Is God able to redeem out of that? Of course. How are there brothers and sisters in this room today who came out of bad back home backgrounds and God has done a work of miracle of grace in your life and allowed you to rise up out of that? Yes, but I want the warning to set in for you that if you do not follow and worship the God of the Bible, you're setting your children up for failure. You, own, you need to own that responsibility today. Now, lest for a moment you think that God is unfair, look back down at the text and notice what it says carefully. Look at the end of verse number 5. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers on their children, on the third and fourth generations of those, the third and the fourth generation of individuals, of those who hate me. You see, for those of us that do not worship the Lord rightly, Commandment number one, we have uh, other gods or we worship God wrongly. We develop a culture for our children that they they are set up for failure, but understand that God makes no mistakes and every individual is responsible for their own sin and insofar as they hate God, they are judged for that as well. Now you say, man, my that's a tough translation. They, they hate God. Look back at verse number 5. You shall not worship them or serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers. Listen, the teaching of verse 4 and 5 is this. If you create an idol, you twist the nature of God. Y'all with me this morning? Listen to me, just learn a little bit. When you worship an idol instead of the God of heaven, you twist His nature. You make Him to be something that you have invented with your hands. And in so doing, you end up hating Him. Now, quick little application here. I wonder if there's any heart in here this morning. I wonder if there's any person in here this morning that you may not have another God before Him but you may be worshiping the God of heaven in a wrong way. Hmm. Have you made an idol out of anything in your life or religious life that you put more stock in and you trust more and love more than you do the God of heaven? You see, the children of Israel, God told them one day, I want you to make an Ark of the Covenant. And it was beautiful. It was cast in gold. And He said, that's where my presence is going to be. I'm going to, I'm going to dwell with the children of Israel on the Ark of the Covenant. And as the centuries went on, they rebelled against God. They went wrong. One day, they're out in the battlefield and they get slaughtered. And all of the Israelites, they come back and they're, they're, they're tag teaming. They're saying, okay, what do we got to do? What do we do wrong? And some wise guy says, you know what? We didn't win the battle because we didn't have the Ark of the Covenant. So they said, everybody, go get the Ark of the Covenant. We need the Ark. The Ark will win the battle. Take the Ark into war. They went back in the war and got slaughtered again. Why? Because they worshipped the Ark more than the God of the Ark. Hmm. Boy, I can think about a thousand illustrations here, but I better be careful. Let me meddle for just a second. I love that particular kind of music in church. I do too. It can't be church if we just don't sing those songs. Mm. You made an idol. You've worshipped God falsely. It has to look this way. It has to be this way. And you begin to take your preferences. And move those into what actually constitutes the worship of the God of of the Bible. And what you've done is worship the right God in a wrong way by making an idol out of something you've made with your hands or your mind or your heart instead of worshiping Him. That's probably about as far as I should go with that. I'll just leave that into the recesses of your mind as you work that in. But you know, right? I'm not telling you I told you so, except I'm telling you right here. Look at the last commandment. We'll finish her today. Look at, uh, look here, verse number, uh, oh, I didn't even finish it. Look at verse number six. The good thing is here, the curse is there in verse number 5, but the promise is, is wonderful as well. It, it defeats it. Look, but uh, showing loving kindness, that is the loyalty and love, to thousands, to, th- to those who love me and keep my commandments. Look, so you see, to the, he visits to the third or fourth generation for our sin and our wickedness, but God's mercy and loving kindness goes to a thousand generations. You see, in the Bible, God's grace is always greater. Where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. So listen, he is able and he loves you. And if you're wrestling with some of those idols right now that you know are in your heart, that you've made with your life, just cast them down and come to the Lord. He'll forgive you and give you grace. All right, last verse. Look at verse number 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes His name in vain. Well, the first thing you want to notice from verse number 7 is that uh, it's pretty neat how God begins now to speak in the third person. You notice that? In in verse number 3, He says, You shall not have any other gods before Me right? He's speaking in that first person. Same thing. You don't make any uh, uh, idols or things in heaven uh, in, on the earth uh, or in the water under the earth. That's against me. But in verse number seven, he turns the tide and now speaks in the third person. He says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God. He stands over against his name to say, listen, this is my covenant, loyal name. This is the name whereby you shall know me. I am who I am. When, when Moses came out of the Exodus, he says, Who shall I say has sent me? You tell them I am has sent me. It means the God who is there, who is present with us, who loves us. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Secondly, you should also understand this. Now whenever, as I said last Sunday, whenever you see in the Bible, it says something about the name. Like, There's no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved than this. Jesus Christ. It is not just speaking about the title that God has, but it wraps up His entire identity that He is loving, loyal kindness, that He is grace and mercy, truth and life and salvation. He is His own name. It is the very character of God. Also, you should notice this. You see the word take in your Bible, verse number seven? You shall not take. There are two other Hebrew words that they could have translated for simply speaking about speech, to speak. The word used here is the word nasa, and what it means is to lift up, to bear, to carry. So does this text actually say and, and condemn the, say, using God's name in a cuss word as most of you grew up learning? Absolutely, right? Don't use the word the, the, the name of God flippantly. Don't use it as a cuss word. And by, this, by the way, can I also say this? Don't ever tell anybody to go to hell. Man, that's a horrible thing to say. You wouldn't want somebody to do that. You wouldn't want your worst enemy to do that. Right? So don't do that. But listen, is this condemning using God's name in vain as we know it? Of course But I don't want you to stop there. Because it's not just talking about the speech. It's talking about bearing and lifting up. You bear the name of God everywhere you go. You're a child of God. So, when you bear God's name and you go into conversation with somebody and you're gossiping and you're tearing down somebody else, Guess what you've done? In essence, it's as if you have made it out for God to condemn and tear down and gossip. Are you serious? Every time you uh, cheat and lie and hurt, every time you sin, you sin bearing the name, carrying the name of God. So what does this verse actually mean? What does the commandment mean? The first commandment is the object of our worship, right? No other gods. The second commandment is the manner of our worship. Don't make any idols. The third is the attitude of our worship. Everywhere we go and everything we think and everything we say and all of our interactions, that we take God with us as His children. And the conversations that we have and the things that we say... And the way that we live, it either condemns the name of God or it lifts up and bears the name of God. Now that ought to cause every one of us in here to say, oh man, Lord help me. I just want to encourage you. God will help you. And you can pray in a minute and just say, Lord, I've not been having the attitude that I'm bearing you up and lifting you up and taking you everywhere I go. And I don't want to trash your name. I don't want to throw your name down. I want to live as a child of the King the way that I should live. Well, I've already given you that commandment. Number one: Have no other gods before me. John one one tells us that Jesus Christ is God Himself. Worship Him. Commandment number two: Don't don't make any idols. Hebrews chapter one verse number one through three. The Bible says. That Jesus Christ is the express image of the God of heaven. He alone is to be worshipped and believed upon. And the Bible says in the book of Acts, there is no other name under heaven whereby we must be saved than this, the name of Christ. Jesus fulfills these first three commandments. And insofar as today you sit here and you say, man, Steve, I'm with you sometimes I have other gods, sometimes I make idols with my own mind and my own self, and sometimes I don't bear the name of God correctly when I go out into the world. I want to say to all of you, there is, hey, here's a a Bible word phrase for you, there is a balm in Gilead. There is somebody who can heal. There is somebody who has already done it for you. There is a trailblazer, a path setter, a trendsetter, one who redeems and loves and is gracious and kind. If you come to Him, believe on Him and follow Him all the days of your life. Follow Jesus Christ and you'll be okay. Believe on Him, trust Him, and follow Him. Amen, church? Mr. Richard and I were right down here singing with uh, uh, Brother Jamie as he was leading that last song. And uh, both of us got a little excited in the song. And when it came to the second verse, we jumped ahead just a little bit. Praise team heard it, I know, because they saw smiles on the faces. We jumped ahead. I was sitting there. I, he jumped ahead, and then I, did, I, was, I looked at it and was like, yeah, yeah. And then I did the same thing, right? We jumped ahead. And then Jamie starts into the song. Just follow the leader. Follow Jesus. Love Him. Trust Him. Follow Him. And He'll teach you how to have no other God, how not to make idols, and how to bear His name everywhere you go to the glory of God. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes? me? In just a minute, we'll sing a song. We'll finish in prayer. But right now, heads are bowed, eyes are closed. I'm not asking you to do anything weird. I'm just saying, look, If you're here today, why don't you just take this couple of minutes to pray? Right? Maybe you haven't had time all week to pray. Why don't you just pray right where you are? We all need that. If you're a believer in here today, Lord, man, I don't want to have any gods before you. I don't want to make any idols. And I certainly want to bear your name everywhere I go and in every relationship. Why don't you just talk to him right now? Make that right. Give that commitment to him. Ask Him to help you. He will. If you're here today and you say, I do not know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. Oh man, this is pretty weighty stuff, isn't it? It condemns us. It it comes down like a hammer on you and says, you can't have any other gods. You can't make an idol. And you must bear my name. If you're in here today and you don't know Jesus, man, that's the toughest news. Because all your life you've never been able to live up to that. Guess what? Neither has anybody else in this room. Say, Steve, do I have any hope? Oh, yes. Where you failed, Jesus didn't. Lay down your pride and your own words, and your own heart right now. Throw yourself on His mercy. Lord Jesus, I believe that You're the Son of God. I believe You died and rose again. Be my Lord and Savior. I'll follow you all the days of my life. A sincere and a humble prayer like that. And a life of commitment. God's grace and mercy will rush in on your life and will help you to walk with Him. You've been listening to Stephen Tillis, Pastor of Emanuel Baptist Church in Raleigh. For more information and free access to other messages, please visit us at com.